Alright peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will not be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of part two of Yip Man's history, lots of a lot of Yip Man's history. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Watch out! Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm good, Sifu. I'm a bit excited about what's about to go down. That's right. And as yeah. always, at the time that this podcast comes out, that'll be old-ass news. <laughs> oh, uh, So man. today's the first day of the ITC, the Intensive True. Training Camp. True we have that. Every year. Yesterday was Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, by Thank the way. you. Thank yeah, you. Thank yeah, yeah. you. Yes. I mean, yesterday, Father's Day. Yesterday. Yes. Not today. Thank you. Not thank today. you. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to teach six hours today and okay. for the rest of the week. So, I know you're excited uh, about Monday that. Monday through Friday, six hours a day. Yeah. On the weekend, we do four hours. It's also the... Sort of like how you trained back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of castle hours. And then Saturday and Sunday, we do four hours each on those days. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, my good friend Magno Gama from Henzo Gracie. And coming. you don't look He's... tired at all. You look, you don't mm, look. That's, well, I haven't started yet. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I just wait. You don't look stressed. Yeah, give me a. <laughs> Give me a day, and then you're going to see what I turn into. Oh, no. But, yeah, we have people coming from all over to come and train. Oh, I love and uh, also our uh, our mega fan, Topher, is in town to do yeah, the people ITC. from Austria for some reason, too. Yeah, it's weird, though. I don't yeah. know I don't know why they let that in, but anyway. That's weird. Um, and uh, we got some Germans, too. Okay. All right? Okay. So uh, super excited about that, uh, doing you know so many hours of Wing Chun, having the chance to really train people intensively, which, in my opinion, is the best way to do it. This is the best. Um, and, of course, here we are. This is the way. Before yes. we teach a six-hour intensive recording an episode of KFG because we're just absolute nutters Nuts. as uh, as uh, Mikey Dean would say. Man. So anyway, this is um this is part 2 of our kind of semi deep dive into the history of Yip Man. Yeah. Um you know, we normally do the AMA ask me anything kind of setup but I, po- uh, I apologize about wearing the shades cuz <clears> the brightness and I smoked a little opium on the oh, way. Oh, got it, got it, got so it. What, I, in memory yeah. of Grandmaster Yip Man, yeah, you smoke some yeah. opium? Oh, I, 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 got, got, you gotta going. do it. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta do it. I mean, kids, right? don't do it. <laughs> but if you're an adult... Right, whatever. You're free. Free to do what you want, right? <laughs> do, make choices. Yeah, so um, I, I didn't, you know, normally we do the Ask Me Anything episode uh, kind of set up, but because I'm gonna be gone for the whole month of July... <laughs> We have we had to go on this blitz of recording episodes, and the problem is, we had to keep recording more episodes before new questions came in from yeah, the other episodes, re- right? So we have already we have already exhausted that lemon of questions. Like, oh, why don't we have oh, any other no. questions? Because we we've recorded like five episodes since the last episode came Isn't out. Isn't that the producer's job to like think it's, of that? It's yeah, right. But yeah. I don't know. Whatever. How come up with questions you. if there's none. Yeah. How dare and you. come up with the questions and you can make up some more questions yeah. if they're none. So anyway, we did um we did hey. we did the Yip Man history a couple a uh, couple of weeks ago. Oh yes. And we only got through I think <laughs> the first a, two years of his yeah, life. The first two years of his life. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. At, terrible this, twos. At, this, at this point in the in the story, <laughs> Yip Man is in his terrible twos, right? Uh, kicking we, kicking down little fences. That's right, because we just know so much about him. No, I think we left off. Essentially, with the death of Lerung Bick. Okay. So, um, to recap, and obviously, if you guys did not hear uh, part one, go and listen to part one. What's wrong with you? You're supposed to listen to this thing sequentially, all right? You can't listen to it out of order. What's wrong with you? Who does that? Okay. So, part one, we went, you know, with what little we really know, because there's really not a whole lot of records, especially, you know, at that time, and Yip Man in particular, he was born in the Qing dynasty. Right. 
starts learning Wing Chun at age 11 from Chan Rashan, who passes away, and continues learning from his seeing Mm Chung So, and then eventually goes to Hong Kong for essentially what we would call college or university, right? Mm -hmm. And during that time, he supposedly meets Leung Bik, the son of Leung Jan, who would be his Si Kong, right? And uh, Leung Bik, uh, you know, and I talked about some of the different versions of the stories about how they met. And Leung Bik essentially teaches... Uh, the young Yip Man, a more refined version of the Wing Chun style. So more refined. We, we would assume he taught him some things in more detail or he gave him more theory. Um, according to Leung Ting, and I have my notes here uh, because I, I, I did no preparation for this episode. Um, <laughs> according to Sifu Leung Ting, he speculates that in the three years um, Yip Man learned from his Sifu Chan Mashan and mm-hmm. Hun Chung So, he probably only learned the Siunam Tao and Cham Kyu. Um, and if if that's true, that means that Leung Bik would probably be the one responsible for teaching Yip Man Biuji wouldn't be pole and knife. All right, but again, it's all speculation. I mean, this is like, so how does Leung Teng even speculate that we don't know? So it's very very difficult to say. But either way, we can assume you probably asked him over tea. Yeah, although Leung Bik's been dead for a hot minute. All right, um, <laughs> no, I'm saying Leung Teng probably asked Yip Man. Uh. Oh, you, oh, oh! I thought, you, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, it's, man, it's early. I haven't had my coffee yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have it right there, though. Yeah, I know, I know, but I haven't, I haven't consumed it yet. Yeah, no. Why would he ask Lung? Oh, he would ask Yip Man, you dumbass. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's possible, but but um, I have the feeling mm-hmm. if that were the case, Lung Ting would say Yip Man told me. Because in in his book he's he basically says he speculates, oh, which gives me the impression that's... Yip Man didn't just straight up say it, right? Okay, so um, yeah, so so here we go, and then uh, supposedly after about a year of training with Leung Bik, Leung Bik passes away. All right, it's... and uh, um, lacking any students or children, the Yip Man is essentially the one who officiates <clears throat> Leung Bik's uh, <clears throat> funeral. Oh, All right. a funeral. Yeah, funeral. Okay. So he dies in Hong Kong. So even that time with Leung Bik was supposedly not that long. Shit. And then eventually Yip Man goes back to China <laughs> and uh, starts um, starts his life as an adult. And for the, for the most part, he did not teach Wing Chun because, uh, and this is kind of hard for some people to believe, Yip Man did not really start teaching martial arts professionally until he was in his late 50s. Because, wow. as I mentioned in the first part of the podcast, he came from a wealthy family. I mean, look, his family own real estate in Fatsan, and mm-hmm. they own businesses, including owning businesses in Hong Kong. You have to imagine, in Qing Dynasty China, wow. Yip Man's family that lived in Fatsan also had businesses in Hong Kong in the 1800s, okay? So we're really talking about, he really came from a very wealthy, well-to-do it's kinda, family. It's kind of weird, because I didn't have to start driving until later in my life, because I'm so wealthy, I can ride the MTA. Oh, got it, yeah. got it, got it. So, it, so you're drawing cool parallels, parallels, yeah, to your yourself and Yip Man, Yip yeah. Man who didn't teach Wing Chun right. until he his late fifties, and you who didn't drive a car until his late fifties. Yeah. Right, yeah. To be fair, if you see Dre from the back, he does kind of look like. Yeah, he does. As we mentioned before, the silhouette, Dre's silhouette. Yeah, if you cast light on Dre against a wall, he, it's another he, parallel. He, it's yeah, a, it's he is he is Yip Man. <laughs> the nose, the shape, the shape of the head, everything. All right. <laughs> 
Who knows? Maybe I, you are. The I could play the shadow of Yip Man. Yeah. <laughs> you could play the shadow. <laughs> the of shadow. Yip Man. Yeah. When I when I finally get around to doing my documentary, <laughs> right. anytime we, we get get actors a reenactment, yeah. right? We will never show Yip Man. We will only show his shadow, <laughs> shadow right? Yeah. And people be like, "Whoa, <laughs> did you CGI that perfect shadow of Yip Man?" No, no, that's just Dre. <laughs> making it sound like a true crime documentary. Yeah. Yes. So um, so anyway, Yip Man goes back to Fatsan, mm-hmm. and uh, there are a number of different accounts in terms of, like, what did Yip Man do in this time? Because um, it's pretty shoddy storytelling when you listen to how most of the Wing Chun Sifus tell the story of Yip Man. Because they basically go, he started learning Wing Chun when he was 11 from Chan Ma Shun, and then uh, he went to Hong Kong and he learned from Leung Bik. And then in uh, 1949, he started teaching Wing Chun. Yeah. And then you go, <laughs> yeah, um, hey, there's, What's there's 30-something years of a gap between <laughs> when he finishes yeah. learning from Leung Bik and then starts teaching in Hong Kong. And this gap is what we know very very He's little probably about. in a coma like your man steven seagal in that movie oh man you're what really stretching for the parallels yeah man if you were in a coma in the <laughs> in the ninth in 1912 <laughs> i don't think you're popping no. out of it so easily no, right they're not, they're not yeah. keeping you alive they, they didn't know how to keep you alive back then they gave you smelling salts and if you died they just kicked you out ah <laughs> oh, no so um so anyway, uh, you know, we have uh, like some t- political turmoil going on in China. We see the ousting of the Qing dynasty in 1912. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we have Sun Yat-sen and the, the Republic and all these kind of things coming in. And Yip Man is in China, supposedly, uh, among his many jobs. He was a um, police officer. All right. Insane. Now, <clears throat> I have heard. All right. And I heard this from from Sifu Lerngteng. And I, I, I you know can neither confirm nor deny but basically as a um as a you, know, you have to think he was like from a well-to-do family so why would he be a police officer right but apparently his job with the uh with the police was super cushy do you know do you know his he job chilling. was supposedly to make sure that the prostitutes had paid taxes oh, on yeah. what they earned yeah. all right so so it's not like man no that's tough that's tough Wait, that's a, do you yeah, know from I, experience? I, I, that's I'm just saying, collecting just collecting fees it. from prostitutes yeah. is tough. Do you collecting know of this from experience? From, I mean, does he collecting them right after they finish a job? Like, yeah, does, does, he, does, no. he, right does he give them the tip? No, yeah. I, I would, I, I would, <laughs> I would assume there's some kind of ledger. Okay, and and he's you know because you know they have to pay taxes. It was a legal profession mm, at that time. I right? see. I see. So um, yeah. So, uh, but that, that's just one of many stories that I heard, right? I see But either, either way, it seemed that whatever his job was at with the police or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it, we're not talking about Yip Man, street cop. We're not talking about Yip, like <laughs> Sherlock Yip. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're not talking about him, like, uh, you know, regularly busting criminals and stuff like that. It seems that whatever his job was, with the police, it was relatively cushy, and he didn't really have, uh, you know, he he wasn't like on like in harm's way for the most part, right? So during his time in China, he did, however, teach some students, and uh, he taught Guok uh, Fu and Leung Kai and one other Guok um, Fu, Fu and Leung Kai and one other what individual. I always forget his name. But it seems that Yip Man taught these guys mostly just to, let's say, keep up his own practice. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't really teaching them for monetary gains because he came from a wealthy family. He had money and he had a job. Wow. 
Um, so he didn't have to teach Wing Chun because he, he wasn't teaching Bong Sao for cash. Well, he was probably words, right? skimming off the prosties. Well, I don't know about so, that. Uh, I don't know about possible. that. All right, I don't know about that. All right, okay. Whether that's even all, true or all not. Over the place. Um, but the interesting thing is um, when you compare what Yip Man taught in Hong Kong to mm-hmm. what he taught his students in China, there are some major differences. So, for example, in uh, at least uh, Lun Kai, because uh, I've seen his, f- uh, I've seen photos of his forms before. All of the Hun cells, the circling hands that he performed, were not in, normally in Wing Chun. We 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 perform the Loi Hun Sao, the inside Hun Sao, all right? Ah. But he did the Oi Hun Sao, the external Hun Sao. Okay. And they did it in all of the forms. And that's a pretty, pretty drastic change. Because if you look at the Siunam Tao Cham all of the circling hands generally tend to, to oh, rotate yeah. internally towards you, and then they come together at the end. They also did the four corner Siunam Tao. No, right? that's someone else. Oh, that's oh, someone oh, else. That's, that's another really Fatsan phony. Oh, yeah, okay, which is, yeah, the four corner. They're doing the Siunam Tao form, finishing, turning 90 <laughs> degrees, doing the Siunam Tao again, finishing, turning 90 <laughs> no, degrees, Siunam Tao form wasn't... again, turn 90 degrees no. until you've done all four directions. Right. And then you say, see? No, the whole thing was the guy who said that he knew the secret four corners Siunam yeah. Tao. Uh huh. He was claiming that Yip Man didn't know it. That was the whole oh, thing. This right, was not right. a Yip Man Wing Chun okay, guy. Claiming that Yip Man only knew 25% of see, Wing Chun. See, All right, yeah, I you see. got that, right? You know, I've got a really great eight direction soon, I'm telling Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Octagon <laughs> shape? <laughs> you, how did you guess? I don't know. I am the Kung Fu genius after Fair all. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, like, um, he's he's teaching these guys, and, and so we have differences all right you have an external hoon cell instead of an internal hoon cell and you have um also a couple other differences for example all of the punches that were done in the forms like siunam tao chum kibuji were done with the phoenix eye fist pointing downwards and normally wing chun uses an upward wrist snap at the end and they used a phoenix eye fist pointing downwards right so those are those are some pretty stark differences you know um that's not just like you know, the difference between, say, Wong Sun Leung's Siunam Tao and Choi Sheng Tin's Siunam Tao. It's like some minor things. Those are pretty major differences. So the question is, all right, did Yip Man teach the punches all with the phoenix eye fist in Fatsan and then suddenly start teaching the Ping when he was in Hong Kong, like the normal fist? Ping The Ping level fist, right? And uh, Or did he once teach the external Hun Sao, but then when he got to Hong Kong, he was like... Yo, screw that. I'm going to teach an internal Hunzao. Like, so what, what's the deal there, right? Also, when you look at the wooden dummy techniques, especially if Lun Kai, he didn't insert his leg into the dummy leg, which we call Yap Ma Bo Fat, which is the inserting the leg stance method or stepping method. And that is a hallmark of Wing Chun, that we step into our opponent's stance to jam them, to keep them off balance, and also to prevent them from kicking us, right? Yep if you just, ma. yeah, Yap Ma, right? Yep means to enter, and ma means a stance. So literally to enter the stance. And if if you do that, like you see, you can unbalance your opponent, jam their kicks, all sorts of things. And when you look at Lenkai's wooden dummy form, it has no stance insertion in any of the sets. So, yeah, you go like, <clears throat> um, all right, so what's going on there? Now, we flash forward a few more years. 1949, the communists take over China. Yip Man is a member of the Kuomintang Party. All right. Something which is famously left out of all the IP men movies because these movies have to be made of from course. mainland China. Right. So Yip Man is always 
you know, driven out of uh, China because of the Japanese or something yeah, like yeah. that, right? And when in reality it was the Communist Party, and sure. and as a Kuomintang member, he was essentially out um, blacklisted, and he had to leave like suddenly in the middle of the night with nothing but the shirt on his back, and he escaped China, he escaped Fatsan, and he went to Macau first, and hung out in Macau for a minute, and then from Macau, which was a some Portuguese colony, yeah, stuff, some casinos, right? Yeah. <laughs> Decided, hey, I just escaped the. You know, it's like in in America they say um, uh, when when a football player wins the Super Bowl, they say, you know, what are you going to do now? He says, I'm going to go to Disney World, and it's like, yip man, you just escaped the communists. What are you going to do? I'm going to go gamble at a casino in Macau, right? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure. I don't know how much gambling was going on then. Uh, at that time, yip man was was broken penniless and i also don't in even some know back rooms in some back rooms maybe maybe i don't even know what the state of macau was at that time in terms of like the gambling in the casinos or if that came later or whatever um but he eventually then makes his way to hong kong and he's essentially penniless right he grew up rich he had money he had means and now um at uh, the ripe old age of 57 58 he's for the first time in his life he's broke he's got no money and he's in hong kong with really no um, marketable skills because his job for the police was most likely just some kind of cushy BS job that he had for fun so he wouldn't get bored. And he essentially lived the life of a pretty well-to-do rich person. And now at that advanced age, what marketable skills does Yip Man have to earn money in post-World War II Hong Kong, which was already totally depressed? And But there were prostitutes. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, he could start collecting again, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe, uh, um, you know, he, he he could find something, but now he has got no wealth, right? Yeah. So one of the stories I heard is that he even started, like, doing menial labor. Like, he was sweeping at a temple, like, like essentially working like a janitor at uh, Wong Dai Xin, which is a very famous temple Wong in Hong Dai Kong. Xin. Yeah, it's on the Kowloon side. It's very beautiful. And for big events, uh, big Chinese festivals and Chinese holidays, you, people always go there and, you know, offer incense and stuff. Um, it's a very beautiful temple. And there's a mall there, of course, because everything in Hong Kong is a mall now. So you go to Wong Dai Xin either to go to the temple or go to the mall that's across the street. Um, but, you know, back then, supposedly he was sweeping at Wong Dai Xin. And um, his uh, one of his friends from Fatsan, who also escaped and came to Hong Kong uh, by the name Li Man, uh, Lei Man, saw Yip Man sweeping at the temple and was like, he knew who Yip Man was from the days yeah. of Fatsan. What are you doing here? And was like, hey, w- w- what are you doing? You shouldn't do this. Like, this is kind of beneath you. So you're a, you're a, a famous Kung Fu master. Um, why don't you teach Kung Fu? At the restaurant union, which he at that time was the, the president of, right? Yeah, yeah. Lee Li- Man was the president of the restaurant union, uh, the restaurant workers union, and they had a, a, a premises, a location there, like a meeting room. And he says, "You can teach at that meeting room, and maybe the the people from the restaurant union will want to learn Wing Chun from you. So you already have like some people there who could potentially be your students, right?" What did Lee Man before in China? I don't know what he did before, but but he was he was I believe the chairman of the restaurant union at that time, and he knew Yip Man knew who Yip Man was. So the interesting thing is, if not for Layman seeing Yip Man supposedly at Wong Dai Xin Temple sweeping, the entire history of martial arts would have been altered. Because think about it: if Yip Man had never taught Wing Chun, there would be no Bruce Lee. 
and in my estimation, it would also be you no know, UFC mixed martial arts, or at least that stuff would it would still be another twenty years before it comes. So, be, because again, like Bruce Lee was so instrumental in the martial arts scene taking off to to what it has to set the stage for the current martial arts generation and mixed martial arts and all those things. The the and and it's always like these weird moments in history that are balanced like on a pin of one random thing happening. And the martial arts scene as it is today, because of Bruce Lee, is simply because Layman saw Yip Man doing some menial labor and said, Hey, this is beneath you. You should come and teach over here. It's like that one thing, which was like a completely incidental meeting in Wong Tai Sin in Hong Kong in 1949. Completely changed the world. Hey Kung Fu Genius listeners, are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for KFG fans. Right now you can get an all access one month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to wcinewsstand.com and register in the upper right hand corner, fill out your email and password and use the code KFG trial to get your free trial to all the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues, even the one with this cool guy on the cover. That's me for those of you listening to us on audio. My Kung Fu Genius column is also in all the new issues as if you needed another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And now back to me. And it's what did Yip Man um, say? Like he, he, well, he, he said, no, don't want to do uh, this. Well, it, it's, it's difficult. To convince him or, it's or? difficult to say whether he needed any convincing. or. Um, but he definitely went and did it in 1950. Um, he started teaching at the Restaurant Union. So a year later. Well, later uh, the thing summer. is, when we say 1940, I don't know when in 1949. I mean, Yipman could have came in November of 1949, yeah, yeah, and then we're yeah. talking about January of 1950, yeah. right? So, so I don't, I don't know like the exact months. dates, but I know that the teaching at the Restaurant Union began in 1950. So I always, in in my mind, assumed that Yipman came to Hong Kong in late 1949, not early 1949. So, but of course, that that's also just speculation. I mean, that's just me. That's just off the top of my head. So, um, but interest just to go back quickly to the Lun Kai Guok Fu thing about okay, his students in China having only external Hun Sao's and using uh, the Phoenix Eye Fist instead mm. of the normal Ping Kun. They later admitted to Leung Ting when when he pressed them on this that they did not get those ideas from Yip Man. That they, uh, you know perhaps learned a little bit of Kung Fu from Yip Man. And after Yip Man left, they stayed in China. So they started to pick up these Kung Fu manuals, these like teach yourself manuals, which had like the all the, the striking points, the dim mock death touch, yeah, all this kind of stuff. And they got this idea about striking on a point because of a dim mock book that they had read or a manual or something. And the same thing with the external Hun Sao having a different flow of chi than the internal Hun Sao or whatever. So that's also the problem when you when you would go and see their forms and you would say, oh, these people learned from Yip Man before he came to Hong Kong. And then the assumption would be before Yip Man came to Hong Kong, he taught the forms with a Phoenix Eye Fist and an external Hun Sao. Only come to find out, no, he did not. They added that later. But you have to push and prod them for a while before they admit it. And then you start to see why Chinese Kung Fu is kind of, why it's so difficult to say anything reliably about any of this kind of stuff. Because even people who openly change it, they might tell you, but you gotta poke and prod. And if you just learn from them very quickly, you would say, 
you know, their students would say, Yip Man taught the form this way right. before 1949, making something like uh, an assumption that after he went to Hong Kong, he wasn't teaching the real thing anymore because the real thing he taught in China. And co come to find out, no, they literally made that stuff up. Did any of these Fatsang guys ever joined later to the union and came to Hong no, Kong? No, no, no. Those was, guys stayed in Fatsang. So that was always yeah. parted and yeah. they never, maybe for, after Yip Man's death. Yeah, they for, for the most part, in 1949, when the communists took over, there was a huge exodus of Chinese to places like Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. Um, There, there were still people immigrating in the 50s, escaping China. But for the most part at that time, if you didn't leave in 1949, you, you, kind, of, you kind of stayed. Too late. You kind of stayed. <laughs> yeah. Because then, then escaping China became a real dangerous proposition. Because they are watching for you, and if they catch you, it's like it's like people who try to escape Cuba or DDR, you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. like if they catch you trying to escape, the rest of your life is going to be a living hell. So th that's why um, most likely they stay. They stayed in China for sure. Um, so <clears throat> Yip Man starts teaching in uh, in the restaurant union, and um, this is essentially the beginning of Wing Chun in Hong Kong. His first student. Now there's a little bit of debate, and I know when I say this, people get really kind of pissy because Leung Sung is essentially. Um, It's, it's understood that he's the first student, all right, of Yip Man, right? And Wing Chun people and martial arts people, in, in, let's just say Chinese Kung Fu people, are so big on these things. Who the first student is, who mm. the second student is, who mm. the third student, who is the Tai Si Hing, who's the Yi Si Hing, who's the Sam Si Hing, you know, like uh, all of the, this such a big deal. And when you actually teach martial arts, all right, you realize that the first person who started at your school, this doesn't mean shit. Yes. Okay. It doesn't mean just because someone started first yeah. doesn't automatically make them better than anyone who started one. a week later and, or yeah. started a year later. later. Especially when we talk about Kung Fu, which is your your achievement through Fu, your effort hard and work. hard work. The the it's it it's like in theory, if student A joins first and puts in the time and work and student B joins second and puts in the time and work. The same student, time and work. Student yeah. A is supposed to be better because they've been there longer. Yeah. But this, that is purely in theory. Yeah. I mean, even in my own school, like the people we consider the Dai Siheng, like, like um, the, which would most likely be Wei Leung in Connecticut, all right? Uh, in terms of like, we call them the Dai Siheng because he's like the eldest Kung Fu brother of all my students. Because he's the, but because he's the active one, because they were actually students who started before him, but they're not active anymore. So, do I now need to go way back to the, my first lesson I taught in New York City or in Connecticut to find yeah. someone whom I haven't seen for 20 years and yeah. go, "This is the Dai Siheng," and now does is that person have a special more distinction at City yeah. Wing Chun? Yeah. Are they more important than the people who've come in and put the time and still teach and are here now? Absolutely not, right? And then there's time and talent, age and time talent, 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 age, talent, and all so these kind of things, right? So this 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 Chinese idea, this this extremely patriarchal construct, yeah. that the person who started first somehow automatically deserves all of this unearned reverence, is weird. Now I'm not saying that about Leung Sung, 
okay? Because Larung Sung obviously was someone who trained with Grandmaster Yip Man, worked really hard, became an instructor, and he's one of the pillars of Wing Chun Kung Fu in Hong Kong, right? Because yeah. he's like ha- has many students and grand students, and obviously Larung Ting at one point learned from Larung Sung. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that this this ultra importance on the distinction of who learned first and who learned second as if that is anything more than an academic uh, pursuit in relative, terms of finding yeah. out, right? What that actually matters in terms of what these people can do. Um, but according to the late Wong Q, who was also an early period student, he actually said that Lok Yu was the first student of Yip Man um, and not Larang Sang. But Lok Yu was not in a very, um, he was not a very educated person. Uh, and he wasn't, let's say, he wasn't very well-spoken, and he wasn't someone who would speak up for himself. So according to Wong Q, I'm not the one saying it. I, for me, whether Leung Sung is the first student or not, I'm going to get up tomorrow and teach my class, all right? Nothing's going to change, yeah. all right? Um, but I'm just saying that according to Wong Q, who is someone <laughs> who was not prone to exaggeration, he was a reporter, he had journalistic integrity. He said Lok Yu was the first student. Mm-hmm. But Leung Sung was more boisterous, more able to overtake Lok Yu's position by talking and so on and so forth. And then he also became, at, at one point, the the chairman or the head of the restaurant union. So that might have some something to do with him you know, saying he was the first student. But either way, it literally doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So um, that was, the, that was the, the genesis of Wing Chun in Hong Kong. You have Leung Sung, you have Lok Yu, then you have Choi Xiong Tin, um, and then eventually you have oh, Wong Sun Leung, you know, the, the kind of the, the first generation, these guys here that are like the, the, the brand names of Wing Chun um, in, um, in Hong Kong. So um, I'm just going to go through my notes here to make sure I don't miss anything. Oh, so back to the... Um, the Lee Man thing. Um, Lee Man, you know, like I said, without Lee Man, we wouldn't have Yip Man teaching. We wouldn't have the martial arts scene the way we were. We would definitely be a few years behind, in my opinion. Um, Lee Man is buried very close to Yip Man. He's buried like, uh, you, you from Yip Man's grave, you can see Lee Man's grave. It's on the side. Now, of course, Yip Man has this beautiful, large grave in Hong Kong. Right, so, yeah. so like it's like a huge plot there. I I don't know if you've been there. Yeah, they yeah, were talking, yeah. yeah. It's this beautiful plot and everything like that. And Lee Man had this very very tiny grave. And the first few times I went, I didn't go to Yip Man's grave until until relatively late. I had been to Hong Kong numerous times, but I never went to Yip Man's grave because it was it was a little bit it's a little bit out of the way. It's up there in Fun Lang. Yep. And I have to admit, the first person to take me to Yip Man's grave was uh, Sifu Sergio. He actually took me there. He asked me if I had gone. I said, oh, no, I never had any time. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll take you. And he took me there. Um, and then I saw Lee Man's grave next to uh, Yip Man. And it was old and decrepit. It was falling apart. Yeah, of course. You know, and it was like it was like no one came. Like everyone comes, they take care of Yip Man's grave, and um, and Lee Man, who's essentially the guy that all of he's he's the wire puller, right? That that started this whole thing. Without him, we would not have this, right? And he had like his grave was kind of smashed a little bit, not not from vandalism, but just from time and weather and elements, right? And every time I brought my students to go to visit Yip Man's grave. I always brought them to Lee Man to pay respect. And I always told them the same story. If if you respect 
Yip Man and Wing Chun, you have to respect Lei Man because he was the one who convinced Yip Man to teach, right? Nice. So, um, so we, we would always go there and stop. Now, I'm very happy to announce, because some people may not know this, that the um, Wing Chun Athletic Association actually went and refurbished Lee Man's grave. So the last time I was in Hong Kong would have been uh, August of 2019. Uh, I, um, I went there with um, a German friend of mine, Mark Oberdorfer, who lives in Hong Kong. He's a filmmaker. He's helping me with the, he's the one who shot all the yeah, footage of Chen Chi Man. Um, he, uh, he wanted to go to Yip Man's grave to shoot some footage. And I was like, sure, I'll take you there. All right. So I took him there. And uh, there had been a storm a few weeks before. It was Actually, it was very, you, you know how difficult it is to get to Yip Man's grave. One, yeah. there's mosquitoes yeah, yeah. up the yin yang. Um, you got to go up, very up these stairs. Yeah. It's very humid. It's, 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 it's a bit of a slog to get up like there. The jungle. But yeah, sure. it's like going through the jungle. It's very thick and you have all uh, mosquitoes like nonstop. But there had been some kind of storm. There were huge trees that had fallen along that path. So it's hard enough to get up there. We had to literally climb over trees, trees, right? And I was like, I felt, because it's an old cemetery, and I felt like, oh, this is terrible that it's like this. Of course, I didn't suspect that we would be in a global pandemic um, because I had decided the next year I was going to bring my students to Hong Kong because I bring my students to Hong Kong every year. And I said, if this is still like this, I want to I want to bring my students and I want we can clean up the path a little bit like because yeah. it was so bad. Um, and then when I went up there in August of 2019, uh, I took Mark shot a bunch of footage of Yip Man's grave. I said, you also need to shoot Lee Man nice. because he's the whole reason why this is here. And the Wing Chun Athletic Association had actually refurbished his grave. They gave him a new, it's brand new headstone. And there's an inscription there, which kind of tells who he is and why he's important. And that actually made me really happy. Um, I feel, you know, it's, it's, it's 50 years too late, but, um, but I'm happy. I'm happy that they did it. Yeah. And um, for once, you know, for the, whatever fees we've ever given the Wing Chun Athletic Association over the years, they finally did something with it worthwhile. (laughs) Um, so, so that was, um, that, that was quite interesting. I'm, you know, very happy that they, uh, that they did that. So, um, now Wing Chun's development in Hong Kong is kind of interesting because, um, most of the time when we think about Wing Chun in Hong Kong, we think about the restaurant union, then we think about like the challenge fights, the, uh, Bay Mo with Wong Sun Leung and the other guys. And then we think, okay, then there's some kind of middle period. uh, And then there's this like latter period where Yip Man is mostly retired. But actually, there were a lot more Wing Chun classes than that simple timeline would would suggest. Um, In addition to the the restaurant union, which is on the Kowloon side, it was in Sum Zoi Po, they also opened a class on the Hong Kong Island side which I didn't know. Now, when they say they open a class, it's not like... Um, big school. It's not like a big school. It's like they teach out of a location yeah. or a shared spot or whatever, right? Um, and and for people who are unfamiliar with Hong Kong, Hong Kong is more or less divided into two parts, although there are many islands that are part of Hong Kong and other areas as well. But basically, you have the Kowloon side, which is the side of Hong Kong that is essentially attached to China. Mm-hmm. And then you have Hong Kong Island, which is this huge island where all the big famous skyscrapers are. Mm-hmm. And so you have the Hong Kong Island side. And the Hong Kong Island side, you can kind of compare it to Manhattan here in New York. Yeah. 
the you know all, all the banks, all the hustle and bustle, the buildings, the commerce, everything's on the I Hong Kong Island side. And Kowloon is like more where the locals live, right? Yes. Yeah, and Yip Man, for the most part, was on the Kowloon side. Um, but very early on, they in fact opened a class um, on the um, on the Hong Kong Island side, which I. Um, which I didn't know. Now, according to to my notes here, so for those of you who are watching the podcast, I apologize. I'm going to look down. I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak. Um, I have very extensive notes on this time period. Um, the first class for the restaurant union was around May or July of 1950, and it was attended by about eight people: Leung Sung, Lok Yu, Lao Ming, Choi Cho, Chan Kao, and Chan Sing Tao. Now, from that list, you know Leung Sung, Lok Yu, and that's it. All right. Yeah. So that, that shows you like, but these other gentlemen who are there are senior in the Wing Chun family. But again, if you don't remember their name, it's because they didn't stick around. So yeah. in Chinese Kung Fu ideas, like are those people supposed to be the best now in Wing Chun because they started that even though out of that list of eight, there are yeah. only two, maybe Lao Ming um, that you can name. remember. Right. And then later, eight more joined. Um, Hoi Yi, Lei Yan Wing, Zhang Wing making a total of 16, and then that's the first time they took some photos, so those very early group photos. Again, eight and eight. Yeah, and then um, and no a few accidents. months later, they started a new class, and it was big with about 30 or so people participating. So already it's kind of growing pretty quickly. Um, and they agreed to contribute 80 cents, so that's what they were paying, all right? 80 cents. I, I have a feeling it's the, the equivalent that time of 80 cents. Mm-hmm. for making sweet soup for consumption after practice. So they weren't even really paying like regular rates or whatever. So how Yip Man was earning a living at this point is beyond me when the students are essentially paying for soup. Um, and um, according to the notes here, they were mostly lazy and did not stick around. Only Leung Sung <laughs> and Lok Yu remains. All right. So here it seems we have an yeah. exception. Here, yes. whether Lok Yu was the first or Leung Sung was the first, yeah. Lok Yu and Leung Sung, first two students. Here we have an exception. Really, the first two students really did stick around. Yes. All right. Where, you know, unlike in my school, like the, the people we now call the Dai Sihings, they're not they uh, really, really the it, very, yeah. very first one, right? Um, <clears throat> all these, all these kung fu styles that, uh, are in Hong Kong nowadays, they popped all more or less up in that time? Or no. were there in Hong Kong other Kung no. Fu styles established already? There were already. And Wing Chun in, came. Yeah, Wing Chun a, was a little late to the party, right? Because uh, before Yip Man came, you really did not have Wing Chun in Hong Kong. All right? Supposedly, maybe there was a Yun Kei San guy or two in Hong Kong, but they mm-hmm. were as we would say, relatively low profile. All right. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Siulam Wing Chun. All right, which is the eternal spring. But that style is not exactly Wing Chun. All right. So you didn't really have Wing Chun, the praise or chant spring style until Yip Man. But was the most common Kung Fu style that So, time? So I don't know what the exact breakdown was. But if we're looking at 1949, then you have Hong Ga as being a this relatively most... dominant style through mm-hmm. the Lam Zhou family. All right. Lam Zhou was the adopted nephew or adopted son of Lam Sai Wing, all right, who was the uh, most famous student of Wong Fei Hong. So, um, and Lam Sai Wing, I think, died in 1942. During, he actually came from to Hong Kong 
and Lamsai Wing died in 1942, but uh, which was the time of the Japanese occupation, I believe. He didn't die because of the Second World War. He just happened to die at that time. Mm-hmm. And then Lam Zhou basically took over. And, and so you already have a, had a very well-established, very orthodox branch of Hongkun in Hong Kong because uh, Lam Zhou had already been teaching years before Lam Sai Wing passed away. Because, uh, Lam, in fact, Lam Zhou taught at Lam Sai Wing's school. And so that was already, I think, even in the 20s and 30s. So you already have Hong Kun as like a very established dominant style. Um, I believe Choi Lei Fat was already... Relatively established in Hong Kong, and other Hakka forms of martial arts would have already been established. You would have had Chao Ga Tonglong, the Chao family um, praying mantis, and Tiu Ga Tonglong, the Tiu family ones, which is basically they're the same style, but there was a split. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, white eyebrow, and then the Jing Wu Academy, Jing Mo from Shanghai was already established in Hong Kong, I believe, at that time. So you would have had Northern Praying Mantis and you would have had Eagle Claw in Hong Kong already. So the Chinese martial arts scene was already relatively stacked by the time Yip Man came, although most Chinese martial arts schools didn't really teach like super professionally and openly. So even though there were a lot of established schools, that doesn't mean like it's not like you know, driving through town Being now and you see a karate yeah. school and a taekwondo yeah. school and an MMA yeah. school with big signs, but they were around. So Yip Man was kind of a Johnny-come-lately in terms of the martial arts scene, right? Uh, in 1951, Lee Man basically resigns. He takes a job at the Nanhoi Clan Association, so he's no longer at the restaurant union. And Choi Shong Tin took over for Lee Man and and. And that's how he became interested in Wing Chun. So Choi Shung Tin took over Lee Man's position at the restaurant union. And then that's how then he was introduced into Wing Chun. So um, they opened a third class. And this was in Seung Wan. All right. So that's the Hong Kong Island side. So I had no idea that there was like a because in, in like my mind's eye before I had done all this research years ago, I just always thought Wing Chun was always until until it became really big, like Yip Man's time was always on the Kowloon side. But in, you know, in 1951, so already a year later, they already opened a class in Seung Wan, which is actually where Chris Collins has his school, which is over on the Hong Kong Island side, at the Kung On branch office. Now, that was a branch office of the restaurant union. So they had a Hong Kong Island branch for the restaurant union, and then they opened a class over there. So it's still under the banner of the restaurant union, but now they're expanding to the other side, right? Um, so this was also the time when, um, challenge fights with other Kung Fu styles slowly started. Um, and, uh, this is still before Wong Sun Leung's time. So, so it, it, the challenge fights didn't necessarily start with Wong Sun Leung, but there was already some little bit of back and forth between things going on. Yeah. Some things going on because, you know, it was a different time period and Wing Chun, you have to imagine was the new kid on the block. And here you have all of these very established southern martial arts that have very impressive forms. And, you know, even even in Hong Kong, you you, what? you, you could shout and the movements look good. And, and then you have this weird looking style called Wing Chun where you're kind of standing pigeon toed in place, moving your arms slowly. And then but when they fight, they fight like super aggressively. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that you can imagine was kind of like a uh, 
kind of a weird thing for people to see. These uh, roof fights, is, is it really that the most of them, these challenge fights, were happened to be on a roof? Or Yes, but but there's a very practical reason for that, right? Like when we when we look back on it, we just like fantasize about these legendary rooftop fight scenes and, and uh, uh, f fights and challenges, right? And the reason was quite practical. Obviously, you've been to Hong Kong before, you know, even in the 50s. I mean, obviously, if you compare Hong Kong from the 50s to now, Tight the space. buildings are much taller and it's a lot tighter now. But <coughs> even back then, space in Hong Kong was pretty tight. And the buildings were very tall to accommodate such a large population, especially after the influx of mainland Chinese into Hong Kong after the Second World War. So you're, you have tenements and you're building high up buildings. The problem was that if you got caught fighting on the street, you'd get in trouble. Yeah, of course. So you, that would kind of rule out fighting in the park. Uh, yeah. That would rule out fighting uh, behind a building uh, or anywhere that's kind of semi-public. And then But, when I'm eating a school, because is it your school or is it my school? Exactly, right? And then <laughs> yeah. there's there's liabilities there and so mm -hmm. on, right? Mm -hmm. But um, old Hong Kong buildings, they all have flat roofs. So you can, going onto the roof of a building is basically the only place where you can have a fight in private. That's the reason why they had them there. So there wasn't any, and, and of course, nowadays, you, you know, you think of, there's something very kind of romantic and cool about going onto a rooftop and, you know, your school is there and their school is there. And then they're, you know, they're cheering you on and you fight on this rooftop and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. When the, the real reason for it was, it was simply practical, right? Like you, you couldn't do it anywhere else without getting in trouble. Uh, and then, so we look at the years after 1951 to 1953, they opened a fourth class at the Ying restaurant. So again, these aren't commercial locations. They're like teaching in the back of a restaurant mm -hmm. or something. And that was on Stanley Street in Central. So we now have a second class location on the Hong Kong Island side. Right. All right. So, so, you know, if you think about it from there being no Wing Chun, and now we're talking 1953, so three years later. You have, you have a class on the Kowloon side and, and a couple class on the Kowloon side and a couple class on the Hong Kong Island side, right? This is, this is, this is something special for that time, right? That was not uh, exactly the way things grew back then. Now, again, you have to get out of your mind that it's a professional school with enrollment and a syllabus and a uniform and all this kind of stuff. These are informal meetings and classes. But for better or worse, these are now happening in multiple locations, right? Um, and then... A, a fifth class was supposedly open on the roof of a building. So now oh. they're not only fighting on rooftops, they're also teaching on rooftops. Um, and this is near Bridges Street, which is um, near um, Manmo Temple. I don't know if you ever saw Manmo Temple. Uh, Manmo Temple is uh, Manmo. I just say Manmo in Chinese. It's a temple with a Chinese accent. Um, <laughs> Uh, Manmo Temple Manmo. is um, is on the island side. And it's very beautiful because it has lots of like very fine uh, architecture. And when you look at the roof, it's got like uh, characters and it has like murals on it. And, and it, it, the, it tells like a whole story. You have like figures built mm -hmm. into the roof and everything. And uh, so this class taught on Bridges Street was near near the Manmo Temple. You can still go to that temple nowadays. Usually uh, students go to that temple to pray to get um, good grades and pass exams in school. <laughs> so um, then uh, 1953, 1954, Leung Seung was defeated in the union elections. So he was no longer the union boss. And so they had to now move out of the restaurant union. So it seems just from reading this, all right, mm -hmm. it's like, why were they able to teach at the restaurant union? Because Leung Seng was the chairman. And then when he lost the election, um, 
He has to go. Uh, Sivu, uh, we got to get out of here. <laughs> like, I can no longer get you this space, right? Mm. So then they moved the school to Hai Tan Street, which I think was also, which should be Hoi Tan Kai, which should be on the, um, on the Kowloon side. And uh, this is the time, 1953, 1954, when Wong Sunlung joined Wong Kyu, Wong Chak, Um Yip Man also taught private lessons at um, Three Prince Temple on Yu Chao Street, Sam Tai Chi, that Three Prince Temple, Chan Chi Man took me there. And uh, it's, it's this small little temple. And when, um, when, I, when I met Chan Chi Man, he brought me to the restaurant union and then he showed me, okay, this is where Yip Man taught me in the morning. And then often in the evening, we would go to the temple. And then I was like, well, why did he teach you in the temple? He's like, oh, because he didn't have to pay to teach in the temple. And at the union, sometimes in the evening, they had to have meetings there. So he couldn't teach there. So mm. you really have to get, like, when, when, when I learned these things, you really have to get out of the idea. Like, we have, we're so influenced by the modern idea of martial arts in a martial arts school. 100%. That you have a location, a sign. Yeah. That place is a semi-permanent location for the Sifu. And Yip Man is, like, teaching in a, a in a restaurant union actually. office early in the day. And then he's walking with Chan Chi Man a couple streets down to teach in the courtyard of a temple because he doesn't have to pay. Like, yeah. But kind of like going to the park. And um, so I was very lucky um, to go to the Sam Tai Chi temple with the, the late Sifu Chan Chi Man. He brought me there. And it was really beautiful. I remember um, the, the first time he took me there was in 2015. And we shot a bunch of footage. And then we're walking down the street. And uh, he was... Um, he was walking next to me and he said, uh, you know, at that time in the 1950s, Hong Kong wasn't like this. You didn't have all these lights. You didn't have all of these buildings here. He said it was it was it was a lot darker. Uh, and so he said when we would leave the restaurant union, he said I would carry a lantern, a light so that they could see their way see. through the street. And he goes and I would hold my Sifu's arm like this. And he like took my arm like around the arm and he held it. And uh, and he held the lantern and and walked and great. he was like kind of showing me how he did it and great I just picture, remember like picture to yeah imagine. it was it was such a sweet moment because he, he grabbed my arm the same way and he was showing me how he walked down the street with Yip Man and and uh, and then he brought me to the the Sam Tai Chi Temple and we were like and he was showing me he's like yeah this is where Yip Man taught us and he goes this is uh, I would stand here and we I would do the Siu Nam Tao and the Cham Q and then we if it was raining we would go under there and we would do Chi Sao and all this kind of stuff and then he was like explaining this stuff to me and then he would explain oh sometimes William Cheung would come and all these other guys and he would he would mention all these names and then um and later when I went to his house he had the photos of a lot of these old seeings and then and then he just he stood there and he looked and and I was like oh like can you tell me a little bit about these guys and the first thing he said he turned he looked at me he says they are all dead, right? <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, now Chan Chi Man has joined them as well, right? So we're in this kind of critical period where the people who really knew Yip Man, they're, they're kind of all leaving us. And the ability to get these kind of stories and stuff, it's, it's not there anymore. And I'm happy that I was able to shoot all that stuff in 2015. And I was able to shoot the other stuff in, in 2019, mm. where we have a few hours of footage of him telling those stories. Because um, where else are you going to hear that stuff, right? So when yeah. I look at my notes I here, and it's like, oh, Yip Man also taught at yeah. Three Prince Temple on Yu Chao Street. Well, 
I've been there and I know that place. And if I go to Hong Kong, I can take you there because of Sifu Chanchi Man, right? Otherwise, this would just be some random name in my yeah. notes here, right? But but I've actually been there and, and, and it's, I think, important for Wing Chun people to kind of see where we came from because the, the development of Wing Chun is really incredible this in that way. is the roots. Absolutely. Is it known about, because nowadays as teachers, we... we um, We have that school and we have that class, but there was always these few students who like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to have the private lessons more and I don't want to join the people. Yeah. So they want to have private lessons, but they don't want to go to classes. So did is it known that Yip Man had kind of just private students aside who would not, not go into the or a class at all? Well, I think... Part of what needs to be because understood. you ask, you also ask where, where he get the money from, like the 80 cents, right? How did, did he survive? Maybe he survived with some other private students sure, that are sure. not known off or not known off right, so right. well. Well, for the most part, even the group classes in Hong Kong, even to this day, are more or less taught like private lessons, yeah, because it's not because they just don't have many Chinese kung fu instructors in Wing Chun in particular just don't understand how to run a group class. They basically teach private lessons with multiple people in there. Yeah. Right? And um, so it, it's it's the, the teaching style is very, very different than one kind of imagines. Um, so you know what? I don't know that. All right? I... I, I, I That's speculation. I, I don't know what the division of, of people who trained with him privately or trained in the so-called group class or did both. Um, I, I, I think that's in the category of... Unknown and unknowable. Tang Sang started when? Oh, much later. Much later. Much yeah. later. So um, Tang Sang, it's interesting, um, kind of jumping ahead a little bit, because even my former teacher, Lang Ting, one of the, the criticisms that people have is, oh, well, Lang Ting was just a grand student of Yip Man or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, as if um, grand students never learned from their Si Gong or whatever, right? I mean, yeah. you know, and, and there's always saying, Yip Man was not his Sifu, right? And I'm like, dude. Yip Man Sifu, Chan Roshan, died after two or three years of him learning. All right. So so you're going to say like, oh, the only person you can learn from yeah. is your Sifu. And then, well, then you got to look at Yip Man and go, well, he only learned from age 11 to what, 13, 14. And yeah. then his Sifu died. And so now we, we're using this theory. We have to say that's the most critical time of his teaching period, not continuing to learn from his Sihangs or learning from Leung Bik or actually going out there. And practicing and get good at this stuff, we're, we're now reducing it to there's only one person in the world who can teach you, and that person has to be your sifu, right? And the history Not of true. Chinese martial arts is is littered with examples of people who learn from their sigong, learn from their sibak, learn from someone else in their kung fu family, right? This this is just something people want to do to attack someone. And also, to be fair, Leung Ting never said Yip Man was a sifu. He always called him Man Gong. It's the other people that man think gong? that man gong. gong is like si gong, ah, okay. man from yip man. Ah, so you call gong. them man gong, right? Like grandpa man, okay. all right? Yeah. Um, it's only the other people who say, uh, oh, yeah, Leung Ting said that yip man was a si Find me one quote where yip man, where Leung Ting said yip man was a sifu. I'm mm -hmm, waiting, mm -hmm, all right? Mm -hmm. um, and the whole thing with the Leung Ting being the closed door student or whatever, yip man was the one who said that in the new martial hero interview. Yip Man said in the second uh, interview with New Martial Hero that Leung Ting literally said, Leung Ting is my Fung Moon Tai Chi, closed door student. That title came from Yip Man, all right? And so you can interpret that any way you want, right? Um, but the interesting thing is for the people who throw shade at Leung Ting for being a grand student of Yip Man who then later learned from Yip Man, Tang Sang was a great grand student of Yip Man 
who then later became a private student of Yip Man and considered Yip Man his Sifu. Because Tang Sang was um, not small potatoes, as one would say. Tang Sang was a VIP. Yeah. Uh, you know, chief detective, chief inspector, um, obviously had some connections to the underworld. V- VIP. Right? Yeah, VIP. Had a lot of money. He was a very, very important person. All right? He's like someone who rolls into your school and you're like, oh, this guy's important. All right. So th- there are reasons why Yip Man would have. Ad- what, yeah, why Yip Man would have adopted him as a student, just in terms of the uh, uh, the clout and having this person as your student, right? But actually, Tang Sang originally was a great grand student of Yip Man. So people who are like, oh, dude, you can't be a grand student and learn from your Sivu. Mm-hmm. Hold my beer. You could be a great grand student and learn from Yip Man. Okay. Um, Tang Sang was a student of Wong Chu. Wong Chu was a student of Leung Sang. Ah. All right. So Tang Sang was actually even one generation lower than Leung Teng in the Leung Sang family and then became Yip Man's student. student. All right. Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. If you're looking for an easy way to support this podcast, please consider joining the Kung Fu Genius Patreon. You can support for as little as $5 a month and get access to episodes a few days early. Higher levels of support, get additional goodies, exclusive content, and even your name in the description. The baller level of support will give you the opportunity to be a Dre for a day and give me a rest from this guy over here. A link for the Kung Fu Genius Patreon page is in the description below. You can also support us by subscribing to the Kung Fu Genius on YouTube, liking this video, and sharing it on your social media platforms. When you subscribe on YouTube, don't forget to hit that bell for notifications so you will know as soon as a new episode or a premiere is available for you to watch. For those of us who listen to us on audio, it's a huge help if you don't just rate the podcast, but also write a review wherever you listen to the Kung Fu Genius, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. I really appreciate it. And now back to me. Um, interestingly, a number of years ago, I had a, a conversation with um, uh, Tang Wah, uh, Sunny Tang from the Moyat lineage. And uh, he, um, Sunny Tang's an interesting character because he he learned from, he's he's in the Moyat lineage, but he's a little bit different in my opinion than many of the other Moyat students because he learned from Moyat in Hong Kong, not from Moyat here in the States. So there, because I've met many Moyat students, obviously here in New York, we have a lot of them. And there seems to be a slightly different vibe between like the people who learn from Moyat or in the Moyat family here in the States compared to those who learned in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So Sunny Tang, I met him a few years ago when I was doing some research on Tang Sang because he knew Tang Sang. Mm-hmm. And he even told me that Tang Sang did an art class with Moyat together. They were learning like some calligraphy or art or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and Sunny Tang told me he lived very close to Yip Man on Tong Choi Street. And um, he said uh, he would sometimes go out to dim sum with Moyat and uh, Yip Man. And he said in Yip Man's wallet, on the top part of his wallet, he had a photo of Tang Sang there because that's how he goes. That's how powerful Tang Sang was Yeah. because Yip Man, who notoriously had a bit of an opium uh, uh, habit. Yeah. If Yip Man were to say, get caught by the police or get be, be in a situation where, okay, maybe he's not in a favorable situation with the police. He need only flip his wallet open. <laughs> And show that sorry, photo. Sorry, sir. Yeah, and then they're gonna they're gonna be saluting <laughs> Yip Man, saying "Sorry, sir," and r- hightailing it yeah. out of there, right? Yeah. So so powerful was uh, was Tang Sang's influence at that time, right? So um, so anyway, um, 1954, we get to the uh, the Hai Tan Street location where they moved to, and this was on the fourth floor, 
and um, Wong Sun-leung at that time came to test Wing Chun. Now, the story was uh, Low Man Cam, all right? Low Man Cam uh, was Yip Man's, is Yip Man's nephew, nephew, all right? And he was learning from Yip Man at that time. So the story was Low Man Cam was there on that day that Wong Sun-leung came to test out Wing Chun or whatever. And Wong Sun-leung, from what I understood, already had, I believe, some boxing training, some martial arts training, or at the very mm -hmm. least, he was kind of always a bit of a scrappy dude, right? Mm. And he came in and he wanted to try it out, and Low Man Cam was there. And apparently, Wong Sun-leung beat Low Man Cam. Yeah. All right? Yeah, and and, and so... Uh, so I guess we could say he was, was none too impressed mm -hmm. with Wing Chun. And <clears> then <throat> the story was Yip Bo Cheng, which is another senior student of Yip Man, came in and then kind of stepped in to save face for Low Man Cam or whatever. Yeah. And then whatever the result of that exchange was, Wong Sun-leung joined the school. He All was right. impressed. Then. Yeah, or, or Yip Man had come and impressed yeah. Wong Sun. Something, so, you know, uh, uh, obviously someone came in and stepped it up, right? Yip Bo Jing, by the way, is an interest, was an interesting character too. Uh, uh, um, Chen Chi Man told me uh, that he, 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 knew, he knew Yip Bo Jing. And uh, Yip Bo Jing was actually the first of Grandmaster Yip Man's students to learn the wooden dummy. And uh, Yip Bo Jing was also very friendly with Leung Ting. Uh, he was even there at Leung Ting's wedding. Well, Yip Man was at the wedding and Yip Bo Jing was there as well. Very, very senior. But it seems like he didn't really teach Wing Chun. And then I believe he died a very long time ago, like in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate because there are a lot of these characters like Dang Sang, like Yip Bo Jing, um, who seemed like they really learned something from the old man, but didn't pass, but, on. But didn't pass it on, right? Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. wonder how much, I mean, obviously they probably had jobs, they were doing something else. I mean, martial arts is not a vocation, teaching martial arts is not a vocation for everyone. But it is unfortunate that there seemed to be a number of Yip Man students who- With knowledge. With that's... knowledge and that just died with them, you know? So um, so anyway, um, later, um, Lei, Lei Kam Singh and William Cheung joined as well, all right? So famous um, William the Chung. famous William Chung, right? So um, funny story. Uh, William Chung joins, and later my my late friend Chan Chi Man joins because of William Chung. And so uh, probably this will be the last story I have time to get to today. So um, uh, Chan Chi Man he started learning Choi Lei Fat. And he, uh, Chan Chi Man used to work at the uh, the YMCA in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah, you told me about and, the YMCA. Uh, yeah. and, <clears throat> and at the YMCA, there was a Sifu of Choi Lei Fat. And so um, every, um, see, at that time, the, uh, the YMCA was exclusively for the British. And that's why later they created what was called a Chinese YMCA. Yeah. So you have to mention in Hong Kong, <clears throat> The, the Chinese couldn't even go to the normal YMCA because that was for the British, right? Affront. Horrible-ass British people, right? Affront, affront, affront. Well, if there was a British at YMCA, mm -hmm. the question I have is that, like, who would play the cop? <laughs> and there's no <laughs> Indian. No? No, I don't know if we're talking, I don't know if we're in the disco era yet. Right? <laughs> oh, that would explain it. Yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, so... Um, but every uh, Chen Chi Man told me that every um, winter, like for the holidays, the Brits would sometimes get a little drunk, and sometimes they would. Sometimes um, uh, yes. they get drunk. Very sometimes rarely, they get drunk, right? heard, But and uh, Chen Chi Man worked in the cafeteria, 
And he said that uh, there were a couple incidents where some British guys um, got violent with the people working at YMCA, like 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 were like actually hit people who were working there. And he saw that these guys were being really violent, and mm. that's why he wanted to learn martial arts. So he found out that one of the guys who worked at the one of the Chinese guys who worked at the YMCA was um, a Choi Lei Fat Sifu. So he started learning Choi Lei Fat. All right, which is this very dynamic style, cool forms, these you know very powerful punches, and um, and was doing that, and then eventually I believe William Cheung was like a friend or a classmate or someone that that Chan Chi Man knew, and William Cheung had mentioned something about Wing Chun, and you know Chan Chi Man is like Wing Chun, never heard of her, um, and uh, and then he's like, well, I can I can show you a little bit, right, and then uh, they go to some first meeting place. I'm going to assume it's some kind of rooftop. And in those days, sometimes it would be typical because Kung Fu was so exotic, even for Hong Kong standards back then. Mm-hmm. You're from the Choi Lei Fat style. I'm from the Wing Chun style. We are going to fight. But before we fight, I'm going to do one of my forms. You're going to do one of your forms. Oh. Because it acts kind of as a warm-up and kind of as a... Uh, like a, you're trying to Ceremony intimidate the other person a little bit, right? Of a fight. So, you know... Chan Chi Man busts out some like dope ass Choi Lei Fut. You know, some cool ass Choi Lei Fut form, right? And William Chang sets the stance and starts doing the Siunam Tao form. And Chan Chi Man said when he saw this, he was like, What kind of sissy cult kung fu is this, right? And he told me that when um, when William Chang was doing the Tan Sao, that uh, Chan Chi Man went and, and, and put a coin in his hand. Because <laughs> it almost looks like you're begging for money, you're asking for money. Oh. And then, like, Chan Chi Man walked up and just put a coin in his hand, like a total diss. So, really, Chan Chi Man had no idea what this Wing Chun style was about, right? And then, uh, <laughs> yes. And, and then, after the ceremonial forms training, they, they have their match. And uh, Chan Chi Man said, you know, Chan Chi Man could move around a lot and he could hit. And he said, you know, at first, William Cheng wasn't really like really going for it. Right. So he felt like, oh, he kind of got like some little hits in on him. And he's like, oh, OK. Right. And then and then he says, then William Cheng just it's like he just turned it on and this and just steps in and just starts chain punching the living crap out of Chan Chi Man. Great. And then even hits him like with a pole pie at the end oh. and knocks him down. Right. Oh. Yep, Pipe. that's right. Exactly, <laughs> and I'm sure he said it that way too, with your uh, with your Brooklyn accent. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, Chen Chi Man was beaten, but he still wasn't completely convinced, because you know that still ha- not convinced. no, you know what that happens sometimes to people. Like if people are very proud of their martial arts training, and they get beaten, oftentimes they think, oh, the other guy was just lucky. Kind of like I slipped on a banana peel oh, yeah, or, yeah, like, had that or it wasn't really, really super serious. Yeah, As a matter yeah. of fact, you can actually see this happen time and time again when the Gracies started challenging styles in Los Angeles. Because they, you know, in, in, in let's say in the 80s, they were challenging karate guys, kempo guys, kung fu guys who didn't know anything about ground fighting. And of course, they're in there looking at these skinny Brazilian guys in this gi and going, I'm just going to knock this guy out, right? And then suddenly they're on the ground oh. flopping like a fish and then they're being choked out. I slipped. Yeah. And then they're like, no, 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 that, that, no. That and, doesn't and, count. And so, yeah. So what you see is actually that happened quite a bit. So when people yeah, are like, how can Chan Chi Man get beaten by William Chang and not be convinced? You can actually see this phenomenon 
very often with the Gracies because the those early guys were like, no, no, he caught me in something weird. Okay, that's not going to happen again. Verdrängungsmechanismus. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, repressed memories, all right? So he, in fact, um, I also lost only two fights in my life, and this was only because I had these Gucci shoes on. <laughs> very slippery, and otherwise I would even it's, it's always It's win. always the Gucci shoes, yeah. all right? So, um, so yeah, so you would see this like with the, the like the kung fu guys would get choked out and they would stand up again, like oh let's do that again, yeah. do it again, same well, exact thing happen, thing right? Here. Because they didn't realize that oh no, like this is what the Gracies are going to do to you. They're gonna they're gonna clinch you, smother you, take you down, and lock you or choke you. Yeah. It wasn't that that was just some random thing they did to you in that exchange. That's literally what they do. I don't bleed. I, I didn't. I didn't lose. Yeah, I just bleed I on lose. the inside, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Chan Chi Man wanted to have a second match with William Chang. To like really make sure, okay, was this Okay, one real? more time. But this time he wanted to have it in private because that first match, I guess there were some friends watching or something like that. And, and the coin thing. Yeah. And so they uh, they had a second match and it was the same result. And then that was the moment when Chan Chi okay, Man realized. Draw. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now call it even, right? <laughs> It's the Black Knight from Okay, um, Unanchin. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it's, the, uh, uh, the Holy Grail. It's like, ah, oh, it's a flesh wound. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, also, um, cut Chan- the arms off, cut the legs off, right? Yeah. Okay. It's, let's make it even. <laughs> let's call it a draw, right? <laughs> so, uh, oh, even I forgot to mention the first fight, Chanchi Man on the rooftop almost fell off the rooftop. That I wanted to ask because yeah. it's a roof. I mean, yeah, whether really ever fights were like, he said, he said, ah, well, usually they would have students kind of guarding the perimeter to make sure no one fell ah, off. Boring. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> okay. Um, but he said that he almost <laughs> fell off and he had to grab onto a flagpole. Really? Yeah, yeah. He said it was like really, really dangerous. And then, um, yeah, and then they, you know, they had a second fight and essentially the same, the same thing happened. So um, he asked uh, William Cheung to bring him to his Sifu. And so William Cheung brought him to Yip Man and then, you know, uh, Chan Chi Man gave the red packet and bowed and they, they then started learning. And then that's, that's how Chan Chi Man became a student of Yip Man. Now, the funny thing is, he was just so enthusiastic at that time because he was kind of young. He wanted to learn this cool kung fu style that his friend William Chung used to beat him. And when he went back to work to the YMCA, he told his Choi Lei Fat Sifu, he says, hey, uh, I am learning Wing Chun now, all right? And his Choi Lei Fat Sifu said, oh, if you want to learn Wing Chun, then you should learn from Yip Man. He's the best. And Chan Chi Man said, oh, okay. <laughs> and he went back to Yip Man. He didn't know the name of his new Sifu in Wing Chun. Oh. He went, he went to <laughs> Yip Man while William Chung was there. And he said, oh, my Sifu said, if I want to learn Wing Chun, I should learn from Yip Man. <laughs> he says that to Yip And Yip Man just kind of smirked. Mm. And then William Chung shook his hand. He's like, you idiot. So tight. All right, idiot. So tight. That is Yip Man. <laughs> <laughs> you won the lottery. Yeah. And so, and that's basically the story of how Chanchi Man got started. So now we just essentially finished part two, and I've made it all the way to 1954. All right. So we still have a few more years of history to tell until we get to the disco era. Until we get to the disco era, uh, where we can explore this YMCA connection to, to Wing Chun a little bit more uh, deeply. So um, I think uh, we're going to have to do a part three at some point. Fantastic. So, cool. I'd just like to say Dre. Is that my fault? I asked too many questions. Yes, right? Dre. You asked too many questions. I didn't know you were bilingual either. 
Yeah, we by, didn't know. By what? <laughs> <laughs> cool. And that's all I got to say about that. Okay, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any questions you want me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write those in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seekung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. All right, peeps. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, peeps. <laughs> <laughs> What the? F <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do shit. That's his. That's his mess up. All right, peeps. On today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be not answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems. Lots of the second part of Yip Man's history. Lots of yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, Dre. <laughs> <laughs> well, see my bad Sifu. Yeah. <laughs> my bad. No good kung fu, no good at talking. Why you sound like Sifu Schwarzenegger today? Yeah. What's up with that? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Swans Schwarzenegger. Wow. I'm actually impressed. You should clap now. Clap, Sifu. How much of that will I have to edit? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,